0: about uk christianity and the left i'm ben molyneux Hetherington, and my pronouns are he him as always gently playing pad sounds on his keyboard whilst i tell you all about your biblical responsibility to tithe is adam spears whose pronouns are also he him hello adam
1: what beautiful pads you have (laughs) thanks man i'm not really sure how to respond to that but do you know what like as someone who who has been who has played in worship bands in the past i really hate those moments i've got to say i took i took my now ex-girlfriend to hillsong edinburgh a a while ago just because like she she's buddhist right so she doesn't she'd never come across hillsong before and it was we did we didn't last 20 minutes (laughs) it's an experience it was that do you know what it was though that really did it for her it it was the prosperity stuff yeah yeah and that's like fair play fair play
0: I went to Hillsong London once and not only got a full dose of Hillsong London, but also, and this is when I was still relatively evangelical, also got Stephen Furtick as the guest preacher. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, really hitting those awful conservative evangelical Mm -hmm. prosperity gospel people
1: yeah two for one on that one do you know what i i was in attendance at obviously well in my evangelical days at hillsong london's 10th anniversary service at the o2 arena yeah i remember hearing about that yeah it was i mean it was well done i give them that it always is with hillsong isn't it very slick but Mm -hmm. how much christian content there was in it is up for debate
0: but of course the big hillsong news right now is that just <laughs> justin bieber is no longer a hillsonger which makes he is which not which makes hillsong like easily 20 percent less cool <laughs> maybe we could get him to the c of e oh, can you imagine Arch- <laughs> archbishop justin <laughs> no Guess not so. the one you're thinking of
1: yeah 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 <laughs> justin welby has been uh replaced by By His Holiness Justin Bieber. I'm not not even sure you meant to say His Holiness to the Archbishop. To be honest, but Uh, but uh, I'm going with it.
0: He's His Holiness not because he's Archbishop, because he's Justin Bieber. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) He should already have the be addressed as His Holiness Justin Bieber.
1: I mean, I have already been addressing him as that. Of course, we're a respectful podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So today we are looking at our friends at the Christian Legal Centre and Christian Concern. Uh, this is actually a do-over episode. Uh, one of the missing episodes was episode two, where we attempted to cover this topic. And, well, we fucked it.
1: it I mean, I, I actually re-listened to it to because at the time i thought it went really well i was like are you sure ben like do we really need to re like re-record this because it felt really good at the time and then like i i listened to it again today and i was like yeah let's let, let's redo it truly a mess that will never
0: uh i was just to see the light of day hear the light of ears i don't know uh <laughs> It will never it will never be released. Uh, instead, we're going to take a second run at it. Hope we've learned from our mistakes and see what we can find out about our brothers in Christ over at Christian Concern. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I should say. Uh, I'm already being cancelled for not being politically correct enough about Christian Concern.
1: I, I was going to say, but then I thought, well, it is Christian Concern, so... Hey, they're pretty
0: progressive. They're headed up by a woman. But we will get to that. We will get there. (laughs) First, we start, as always, with the question, what else is on my mind, Grapes? What else is on my mind, Grapes? The first thing that's been on our mind, Grapes, is an article that came out on Sidecar. Sidecar is the relatively new blog from the people at the New Left Review, uh, and they published an article entitled, Was Christ a Collaborator? Uh, it's by a guy called Peter Wollen, who is a leftist, was a regular contributor to uh, New Left Review, uh, and it's from 1971. And it caught my attention, A, because obviously New Left Review is not a religious publication at all um it is a just a standard political uh magazine that comes out and also i thought there was just a really interesting question to think about so to kind of summarize it uh peter woolen is talking about uh jesus's relationship to the ruling essentially colonial power of the romans in his day and asking the question of whether jesus could be understood to well, I guess three options, either resist the Roman occupation, collaborate with the Roman occupation, or kind of go down a third way where he does neither. Uh, And I think the conclusion that he comes to, it's fair to say, is that he doesn't really do either, that you couldn't call Christ a collaborator with these forces, but that he certainly wasn't resisting them. And he asked some interesting questions along the way. As I said, it's from 1971, so it's quite indebted to the second historical quest for jesus which for those of you who don't know is an attempt to kind of recover the jesus of history is the language they use so taking the gospels as historical sources but also drawing on other kind of historical sources as well to kind of find the real jesus that really existed in the first century So it's the second quest. The first quest kind of takes place in the 19th century. The second quest then kind of kicks off in the 1950s and lasts kind of the early 1970s. And then in the late 1970s, kind of an early 1980s, onwards to today, really, we have what's known as the third quest. So yeah, this is quite, in a lot of ways, the historical work on it is quite of its time and very indebted to that second historical quest. So there was a bunch of stuff in it that I don't
1: think is right to put it bluntly but i thought it was really interesting yeah it was it made some interesting points it did a a relatively decent job with the history i thought but i thought there were also some fairly glaring errors so the guy who wrote it was not a theologian and that was, for me, fairly obvious because there are some some basic mistakes, I think, that he makes of interpretation. And for me, whilst it's an interesting question and he raises interesting points, he also just misses a lot of the... So he talks a lot about the, the political context of the time, but he misses a lot of how the gospel writers approached that and ends up accusing them of being well, presenting Jesus, if not as a collaborator, then at least as someone who didn't um, bother to say anything about it. And I think that's a fair, that's a kind of a misreading, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think that there seems to be multiple points in which he either misses things that Jesus does, or misinterprets things that Jesus does. That's right, yeah. That should really be understood as Mm anti-empire. I think something really important that he misses as well is that these Gospels are shaped in a context where revolution against the Roman imperial forces has been tried and failed. So it's understandable that they don't want to present Jesus as someone who was essentially encouraging zealot resistance against the Roman Empire. Uh, but instead as someone who maybe had a different thought on things. And in fact, there's places explicitly in the gospel where Jesus warns them against the violent overthrow of the Roman Empire. And I think you have to read that in the context of it being written at a time when that violent overthrow was attempted and had failed.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And and he does sort of hint at, at points uh, about this and sort of Almost suggests at one point that, you know, because he talks about the the difference between the zealots and the Pharisees, the zealots being the kind of political group, um, more or less of the masses who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire, and then the Pharisees who were a bit more diverse than we often give them credit for, but were a bit more aligned with the Empire or at least allowed it to, to be there without too much protest. Approaching this from someone with some... Theological education you sort of realize that actually your point is is a very good one that it's already been tried the the kind of uprising kind of stuff, but also Jesus is really actually quite explicitly both anti the Roman imperial power, but also anti-Jewish nationalism. Yeah, so Peter Woolen kind of hints at this, but doesn't really take it, doesn't really look at it in any detail, doesn't take it to its conclusion that Jesus is really trying to um, usher in a very radical kingdom, but a different kind of radical kingdom.
0: I think one thing that Woolen does really hit on is right at the end of the article. He's talking about Jesus essentially as someone who finds himself in the middle, both of this national liberation struggle, mm-hmm. but also kind of cutting a middle line in class conflict. Mm. And, he, and he kind of you know, points out the advantages of this, and, the, and he ends with this. It is precisely because he had this ability to reconcile conflicting aspirations that he sometimes seemed subversive. But in the long run, anything that covers over contradictions by appealing to both sides always favors those in power. And Christianity still does. And whilst I'd probably agree with you, Adam, that the accusation that Jesus does this is overplayed in his article, Mm -hmm. I think it's a very perceptive analysis of of what the church continues to do in a lot of guises, which is play both sides, try to appeal to everyone, and end up really favouring power. Yeah. Yeah. Saving those in power, uh, without necessarily intending to.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know how far I would go with the whole not necessarily intending to. I think you know the church, at least in this country, and you know mainstream denominations are in the sort of West, um, for want of a better term, fundamentally liberal. They're fundamentally liberal institutions, um, at least as they as they stand. And so I think that they sort of know to some extent what they're doing i don't think they know the complete story and i don't think that most churches or churchgoers quite realize the extent to which jesus was a um, a political radical and and actually they'll often use those words perhaps without without actually realizing what, what they mean but yeah ultimately they will always play to power
0: so speaking of going down the middle and ending up supporting power should we talk about Keir Starmer?
1: <laughs> yeah, talk talking of the other trait no no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so just before Christmas, Keir Starmer, leader of Adam's beloved Labour Party. <laughs> what? wrote an article in the Church Times. For those of you who don't know, the Church Times is, I think, the biggest Christian publication in the country. So it's a weekly kind of newspaper. It also has a website. It's Anglican, but not exclusively, I think, it's right to say. But it's pretty middle of the road.
1: It's it's a pretty good... It it will publish a lot of different idea yeah. um, to be fair to it so it's not too bad yeah i've written for it a few times and and they've actually published that so yeah i wouldn't
0: want to be over critical of the church times no i guess my point is that it is not a voice for the conservative wing of the church particularly but it's certainly not a socialist christian newspaper anyway I, I, there's been some people who have maybe been a bit funny about Starmer writing for the church times i think it's pretty fine and normal it's a you yeah. know an a newspaper that reaches into a particular community. I would also be happy with him writing for Jewish and Hindu and Muslim and Sikh community publications. And I think, you know, to Starmer's credit, he doesn't pretend to be someone who is particularly strongly attached to the Christian faith. I don't know what his kind of personal faith definition would be, but it doesn't come across in the article as someone kind of pretending to be in the in crowd, as it were. Not like Theresa
1: May a few years ago.
0: Well, exactly, yes. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's actually quite a boring article. (laughs) (laughs) It's very vintage Keir Starmer in that he says things are nice. There are nice things in the world. He avoids saying anything really particularly controversial, as is his want, but there was a really interesting part of it, and Marika Rose, who is a theologian and communist, uh, tweeted about it and made the point that there's a bit of it that pretty much perfectly defines the way in which Christianity and nationalism are kind of entangled and the role that that plays in justifying outsourcing the welfare state uh, and that is pretty much a direct quote of her tweet that I've just done there yeah. so the bit in particular is this for all the loss and difficulty we should not let this year be defined by pain Throughout this pandemic, we have also seen the best of humanity. At the beginning of the pandemic, 750,000 people signed up to volunteer to support our NHS. Our religious institutions and local communities have banded together for the common good, showing us the very best of Britain. People have supported neighbours by donating to food banks, delivering items, or simply picking up the phone to those self-isolating. And I think that's a really, as Marika Rosa said there, it's a really clear demonstration of the way in which religious institutions, and particularly the church, does stuff. And it does stuff with good intentions. You know, it wants to help people and support people. But it papers over the cracks of places where the state have refused to continue supporting people, have withdrawn, and the church implicitly. And probably accidentally, in at least some of the cases, supports the state in doing that by covering over the holes and gaps that leaves.
1: Yeah, and actually, you know, we've just been talking about an article from 1971 that asks whether Jesus was a collaborator and then essentially claims that the church still is. And actually, one might make the case that this is, uh, you know, case in point here, really. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing about the article that I I find really interesting is where he talks about British values. And this is always uh, makes me prick my ears up a little bit because I hate discussions of British values because it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. They don't mean anything. British values are this sort of idea that has seeped into sort of our our systems and our our our, our like organisations and particularly within uh, into our education system um, and the idea is that uh, british values are democracy whatever that means the rule of law whatever that means <laughs> individual liberty again whatever that means and mutual respect for and tolerance of those with different faiths and beliefs now the problem is all four of those are as i've sort of suggested already massively subjective Right, I, I believe in democracy, right? But I don't believe in their democracy, and I also, going to be honest, do not believe in the rule of law because the rule of law means something fairly specific about the way our state is fundamentally structured, and I disagree with that. But the thing is, British values are are used as a, a flag waving soundbite to appeal to a broad section of society, uh, and it never never really says anything of substance
0: yeah and i think it's really important that the whole point of british values is they're kind of assumed they're presented as just the default of what it means to be born as a british person yeah if you happen to be born within these islands then somehow you are imbued naturally with a sense of british values a sense of democracy and respect for others and the rule of law and i think obviously that's actually something that our society works really hard to make appear like it's a naturally occurring thing when in fact it requires a lot of effort to sustain and convince people that is just the natural british way
1: yeah i think that's it at
0: the time of recording there was one Big piece of world news that we do have to deal with i am talking of course of the impending kanye and kim split <laughs> thoughts as always with the kardashian west family but we could also maybe talk about the fascist insurrection that happened in the united states I mean, as a secondary piece of information.
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, I suppose, we probably should.
0: And you will notice that I have strongly implied, and I do firmly believe, that there is a causality going on there, that there is a fascist insurrection in the US directly because Kim and Kanye are getting a divorce.
1: Uh I mean, I have no idea how you're going to justify that, but... um, I have no intention to justify it. I'm just going to say it and move on. Because
0: it's so self-evidently true. Exactly. (laughs) So, on Wednesday the 6th, which was Epiphany, a bunch of fascists ran into the Capitol buildings in the States, in D.C., whilst they were confirming that Joe Biden was going to be the next president, and ran amok. And it's very bad. I don't think there's loads I want to say about that specifically. I think Damon Garcia, an old guest of ours, did a really, really good video on YouTube that explains some of what's going on and particularly talks about the Christo fascism that's happening there. And the Magnificast recently dropped an episode again talking about Christo fascism and kind of dealing with what what we saw happen there. I think it's something where we are better leaving our North American friends to unpack what's going on over there in a bit more detail. But what I want to talk a little bit about is the British response to it, because I think there's something very specific where, and this is a tendency we've talked about before, where British people look at what's going on in America right now as almost a form of entertainment rather than as a warning and i think it's really important that we do take that extremely seriously as a warning of what could actually happen in the uk as well there is nothing special about the us that means that it is uniquely disposed to getting more fascism happen the UK is also at a place where it is extremely vulnerable to the rise of fascism. And there is obviously, we have not yet had quite what we saw happen earlier this week in America. But I think British people want to go, oh, that sort of thing could never happen here. We're too stiff up a lip We're too refined. You know, we've bought our own propaganda. We meant to convince the rest of the world that the empire was really a good thing and we're nice people, but we seem to only have managed to convince ourselves. And British people seem to believe that we'd never do fascism over here, if not because we are opposed to it morally, then at the very least because it would just be a bit too unseemly. But I feel like we've forgotten that a fascist murdered an MP in this country in broad daylight in public. I feel like we've forgotten that there were fascists making serious plans to kill both the Labour MP Rosie Cooper and Jeremy Corbyn. People talk about, well, you wouldn't have politicians doing what Trump's doing and essentially encouraging the violence. And I have to remind you that as a direct result of Pretty Patel talking about immigration lawyers and activist lawyers, an actual Nazi broke into the office of a law firm in this country and tried to murder a lawyer. We are just as vulnerable as the US is to the rise of fascism, and it is time to start taking it really, really seriously.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing I want to add on top of that is, you know, I've seen a lot of people, particularly liberals, talking about how awful it is that these people have stormed the Capitol building. Let's be clear about this. The issue is not that people have stormed the Capitol building. The issue is why people have stormed the Capitol building, right? And the issue is fascism. The sooner we understand that the sooner we can actually start working out how to combat this. That is the key thing. Frankly, I don't care that people stormed the Capitol building. Someone died. Someone died. And, you know, in fact, four people died. and, And they were all, I think, fascists who took part in that. And obviously, there's a part of you that wants to say, well, fascists are terrible and they get what's coming to them. Right. But actually, there's also I don't want to play too hard on this. But, you know, the woman who was shot by the police was unarmed and was a 35-year-old mother who has been brainwashed into believing QAnon's conspiracy theories, right? So the same dangerous forces that are at play in that, that are convincing people like that to go and take over buildings like this, are at play in the UK as well and are radicalising people to the far right wing um, and i know they are because i meet them in my local park on a fairly regular basis not deliberately by the way i'm not going to overthrow the liberals in this country yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. i think something that's really important to remember as well is that in some ways we got quite lucky with what happened in the capital buildings yes things were organized in advance and it's been pretty clear to see that there was always a plan for something to happen on the 6th of January as these votes were happening. It's interesting that that never made it particularly to mainstream awareness, but appeared to be widely organised. And, you know, there were offers made to support the local police in bringing more officers and the National Guard in to support them, which was declined. So there was some awareness that something was going to happen. But the reality is that, and it's been suggested that the police actually let the protesters in, however other people suggested they they were just overwhelmed i don't know what what the right answer is i i have seen
1: evidence on both counts
0: yes exactly but either way the fascists were not expecting to be able to get into that building and clearly did not have a plan of what to do when they got there had they had a plan things could have been a lot lot worse instead they just ran amok (laughs) tweeted themselves committing crimes Bunch of them getting themselves in a lot of legal trouble and getting fired and all that sort of thing, and didn't really achieve much. But now they know what's possible. And I think the same thing's going to happen in the UK. Fascists are organizing in this country. It is not making it to mainstream awareness, but there are fascists organizing in this country. And they might start to realize what they could achieve. With a bit of planning, something really terrible could end up happening. So. I think the key takeaway is get yourself educated, learn what's going on in this country in terms of the creeping return of fascism and find out how you can oppose that. If you need to get out on the street and do counter demonstration, then you should absolutely do that. Do not let fascists have the streets of this country because that only goes downhill.
2: Jesus weeps for Gaza. He sees the pain and suffering of the 1.9 million people who have been forced to leave their homes without access to nutritious food, clean water, decent shelter. He hears the cries of the 25,000 orphaned children. He is with all who mourn the 250 people killed every single day. Christians for Palestine UK is a group of Christians who are calling for an immediate ceasefire in Palestine. We don't pretend to have all the answers, but are united in our prayers, hope and action for equality, peace and justice for all the peoples of the Holy Land. Together, we are organising a Christian presence at the National Marches for Palestine and Local Days of Action, where we've been joined by siblings from Sabil Kairos, Pax Christi, and a whole range of Christian churches. We urge you to join us to act in solidarity with the people of Palestine and call for a permanent ceasefire and just peace. The very Reverend Canon Richard Sewell, Dean of St George's College in Jerusalem, says... I warmly welcome the newly formed group, Christians for Palestine UK. Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank need to see the solidarity of Christians in the UK, and they will be encouraged to see your commitment to stand up for them in their time of terrible suffering. To find details of local actions, or to join the Christian bloc at a national march, follow Christians for Palestine UK on Instagram and Facebook, or email UK at gmail.com. Join us as we call for a ceasefire now.
1: Yeah, and actually not just counter-demonstration, but many forms of anti-fascist action as well. There are, It takes many forms and we need to educate ourselves and be aware of what forms it can and needs to take at times. Yes full
0: and unconditional support from this podcast to all forms of anti-fascist action so we've been speaking of Christian fascists Why don't we talk about our friends at the Christian Legal Centre? So we're going to talk a little bit about Christian Legal Centre and their sister organisation, Christian Concern, today. So to introduce you a little bit to the Christian Legal Centre, I want to start by talking about Alfie Evans. For those of you that don't remember, Alfie Evans was a very sad case where a young man called Alfie, before his first birthday, started having regular seizures and was diagnosed with a degenerative neurological condition the doctors were unable to identify precisely what that was as time went by alfie essentially became they call it a semi-vegetative state so he was totally non-responsive very little in the way of brain activity going on but we still having regular seizures and was being kept on life support. As time went by, the doctors decided that it wasn't in Alfie's best interest to be kept on life support, and started suggesting to the parents that he should be taken off life support. The parents were very unhappy about this, and I think it's important to say there's no blame on the parents at this point. It's a horrible situation to be in, and we can only imagine how we might react to, to this happening to our child but they challenged that decision. It became a bit of a social media foray, and it went to various high courts. A lot of it was based around the misunderstanding that there is such a thing as parental rights in this country, i.e. that parents have the inalienable right to decide what is best for their child. That is simply not the case. The default position is that In the majority of circumstances, parents will be able to make the best decision about what is in the best interest of the child, but it is always about the child's rights, not parental rights. So yeah, they basically argued that they should be able to decide what's best for their child, uh, and it was overruled, and eventually the young man was taken off life sport and very sadly passed away. A horrible situation. It gained a lot of media attention. And the Christian Legal Centre seemed to get involved at one point. And I just want to read this out from the Oldham Times. A video posted on Facebook showed Alfie's father filming his son in the hospital and holding a letter which he said states he has the right to leave with the child. The words Christian Legal Centre can be seen at the top of the letter. I have documentation that says I have the right to take my son out of the hospital. I have the right to take my son out of this hospital, he says in the video. Mr. Evans said the documentation says he is allowed to leave legally and that he has removed the duty of care and given it to their air ambulance company. All the hay have phoned the police to stop me taking my son out of the hospital. This is my son. Look at my healthy, healthy young boy who is undiagnosed, who is certainly not dying. And again, the father, Tom Evans, we have nothing but sympathy for. But what's happened here is that Christian Legal Centre have issued some guidance that Tom Evans is clearly under the belief is legally binding, even though it clearly wasn't, that tells him that he had the right to remove his son. He absolutely, under any law in this country, did not have that right. As was mentioned there, Alder Hay, the hospital that he was in, had to call the police to prevent the child being removed. And what we're seeing here, I think, is Christian Legal Centre in a microcosm. They are sticking their nose in because they see an opportunity for big public and media attention. They are causing unnecessary additional suffering to people who are already dealing with an incredibly difficult situation. And most importantly, the advice they are giving is bullshit. And we also saw a very similar thing happening in the case involving Charlie Guard, It was a very similar case, and Christian Legal Center also stuck their nose into that one, along with an American megachurch pastor who has a very similar method of operation. So that is, I think, A good introduction to who the Christian Legal Centre are. They are a specialist ministry of a larger organisation called Christian Concern. And the Christian Concern are about a few things. They don't like sex education. They do not like LGBTQ plus people. They do not like abortion. And recently, they do not like lockdowns. And they do not like Black Lives Matter. They're big on talking about free speech, which they have a definition of that we would most definitely not agree with, and they get involved with a lot of people who get into trouble at their workplaces for acting horribly inappropriately and then going, oh, you're discriminating against me for being a Christian. Essentially, they're an organization that borders on the Christo-fascists and certainly advocates some sort of Christian supremacy approach.
1: Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about um, the the structure of Christian Concern, because it's, um, it's probably quite helpful to to understand them as, as an organisation. So uh, you mentioned that the Christian Legal Centre are a specialist ministry of Christian Concern. Christian Concern, what they are, is essentially an extremist campaign group. They have three arms, and one of those arms is the Christian Legal Centre that does that pro bono legal work, which is obviously controversial potentially even illegal but we don't want to say that too much because uh, (laughs) we want to avoid being sued Um, so it may be illegal or it may not be. it's a good rule of thumb not to libel lawyers (laughs) (laughs) are they lawyers though Like, there's some question there as to... We'll talk about that in a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Christian Concern has three specialist ministries, as they put it. One is the Christian Legal Centre. One is the Wilberforce Academy, which is an intensive residential programme aimed at students and young professionals with a passion to serve Jesus Christ in a variety of vocations. And they do a long list of what these vocations may be, and basically it means anyone. Um, so if you if you're willing to go along, uh, presume you have to pay, I don't know, then they will have you. I do think it's not quite everyone
0: though. I note that most of the professions they name are firmly middle class and quite a number of them are upper middle class and involve having a lot of power over society. So politics, law, that sort of thing. So yes, I think they'll accept almost anyone who's prepared to stump up the money. You just have to be able to, yeah. But I do suspect there's also a very specific aim of wanting to influence people who either are or perhaps will be in positions of power.
1: Yeah, well, it it sort of reeks of that kind of London or, or Southeast kind of centric conservative evangelical Christianity that is definitely aimed at a very specific class of people. The Wilberforce Academy says that their aim is that delegates will be prepared for servant-hearted, Christ-centred leadership in their communities, churches, and workplaces, uh, and that they equip people with a robust biblical framework that guides their thinking, prayers, and activity in addressing the issues facing our society. And I don't know about you, Ben, but I have alarm bells ringing uh, about that little bit. Oh, yes. Little bit, little bit... um, authoritarian a little bit uh, propagandistic should we say hegemonic even
0: yeah and i think it's that classic thing of they're saying stuff that is in and of itself not necessarily that concerning but is kind of a code right and you and i having come out of conservative evangelicalism recognize what that yeah. code actually means but if you don't know the code you might read that and not realize that it means a deeply conservative
1: approach to things that's right it's essentially what it is is dog whistles yeah one other thing about the wilberforce academy they have a very uh, right-wing curriculum and a very right-wing faculty, as they put it, including uh, one of the big names on there is Michael Nazir Ali, who is the former Bishop of Rochester, who has been described, I think, possibly by the government, I think it would have been a Labour government at the time, as uh, an extremist, which is basically accurate.
0: And that curriculum is quite interesting as well, because Uh it is exactly what you'd expect. It's homophobic, transphobic, Islamophobic. It's all culture war bullshit, but it's very slick. It isn't you know sloppy in terms of the visual presentation of it and it's presented in language that is designed to make it seem as reasonable as possible which is what we're seeing more and more from these conservative evangelicals gone are the days of badly made tracks and you know shitty powerpoints accompanied by <laughs> someone shouting down a microphone very loudly it is increasingly slick and it's increasingly designed to not immediately trigger a oh this is quite extreme response
1: well basically they've brought in um, marketers haven't they yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what they've done is they've they've brought in marketers to to aim it again at a specific demographic
0: The other code of course is that it's named after William Wilberforce and you might be thinking hey Wilberforce he stopped slavery single-handedly as far as I understand it definitely no black people involved in that it was just one white savior but of course Wilberforce is a massive Tory no he wasn't he was he wasn't in the party but he was a massive Tory I mean
1: yeah he, I don't know I always think he's a bit more of a complicated character he was definitely small C conservative. Because uh, of course the conservatives didn't exist back then, but I do think he was a far more complicated character than we, than anyone actually yeah. gives him credit for. But yeah, I mean he was he he was
0: yeah yeah. There's there's, there's the actual Wilberforce, which as you say, is quite a complicated character, and there is the Wilberforce of the evangelical imagination is one in which they essentially they the conservative evangelicals abolish slavery and they continue to all do all the good morally right. Correct things.
1: Yeah, should we talk about the final specialized, a specialist ministry? Yeah, of Christian concern. Obviously, going hard on the Wilberforce here, being conservative evangelicals, and also I think it might be worth saying, I feel a little bit like I'm being a bit harsh on conservative evangelicals, like lumping them in with these people because, like, let's you know make no bones about it, Christian Concern are fundamentalists. They're extremists. Yeah, that's true. Right, and they've been, and they've been described as that by. Many, many people, not just weird lefties like us.
0: Yeah, I think the thing about them, just to position them, is that they represent an extreme end of conservative evangelicalism in this country, but they do not represent something extraneous to conservative evangelicalism in this country. And even those conservative evangelicals that would oppose... Christian Concern and what they stand for are still swimming in the same swimming pool that the turd of Christian Concern has been dropped in and is slowly spreading out.
1: Wow, that is a visual metaphor I did not want to uh, have put into my brain. Let's move swiftly on to talk about Wilberforce Publications, who are the third and final specialist ministry of Christian Concern. Now, Wilberforce Publications are a relatively young publishing house. Uh, who uh, claim to publish books and eBooks that put the spotlight on aspects of society and culture in the light of Christian thinking and scientific evidence. Now, most of these books are full of the same sort of nastiness that you would expect, uh, and their titles include The New Normal, The Transgender Agenda, Uh, which apparently shows how the transgender movement damages individuals and society. And very quickly from the opening paragraph, this is a quote. What is the goal and purpose of constructive theology addressing how transgender issues affect children today? To glorify God. To provide a framework for the education and care of children, which will ensure their mental and physical health and well-being. To bring up children who will grow to be resilient in the face of the transgender attack on reality. (laughs) And to live faithfully as God-created humans, male and female. Children have a need and therefore a right to be reared by their parents in such a way that they can grow up to be at peace with being male or female as their created nature requires.
0: So, are we just going to call them fascists from now on, right? I think we can just do that, right? Like, I think I don't know why we've been, you know, tiptoeing around it. Like, that is just Christo
1: fascism, right? As you say, it uh, is certainly a turd that floats in the same pool. (laughs) Um, So uh, that's one book. That's one of their books, right? It gets better. So they have also published Same-Sex Parenting Research, which refutes the theory that there is no difference between the outcomes of same-sex parenting and opposite-sex parenting. And then, yeah, and this is called... Jephthah's Children which tells the heartfelt personal stories of children raised by same-sex parents Uh, and then finally just the little one that i want to get in at the end there my favorite i think is the book written by two former muslims called not Not the same god Which I think is, I mean, at least you know what you're getting before you've even even opened it up. I know they say you yeah. should judge a book by its cover, but uh, I mean, I feel like...
0: And you can often judge a book by its blurb, and
1: in this case, yeah. I think we definitely can. Yeah, yeah, we can. So yeah, that's Willforce Publications, and those are the three specialist ministries of Christian Concern.
0: Adam, in doing the research, you came across the Christian Concern Facebook page, and I would just like you to share the quite wonderful About section
1: that you found on it. Okay. Uh, This is quite a long thing, so we might have to cut it, or maybe you could just fast forward a little bit. (laughs) But here we go. So, at Christian Concern, we have a passion to see the United Kingdom return to the Christian faith. Our nation has been shaped and defined by this faith for hundreds of years, yet In the last few decades, the nation has largely turned her back on Jesus and embraced alternative ideas such as secular liberal humanism, moral relativism, and sexual license. I'm just going to stop you there
0: and say I went too soon when I said we can definitely call them fascists now because I need to say it now. They've explicitly said we have a hankering for an imagined past that is much better than the present because of its return to Christian faith. They are Christo fascists. Okay, please continue. They're certainly
1: ticking a lot of the boxes, aren't they? Yeah.
0: Adam, would you like to talk to us about our sister in Christ who is in charge of Christian concern? One, Andrea Williams.
1: Yes. So Andrea Williams is a barrister. Uh, I don't think she currently practices as a barrister or or, or is registered as one, but I think she is qualified as one. Now, she, some years ago, went to America uh, as a young woman and... Uh, was influenced by the megachurch movement and particularly by anti abortion counselors, uh, as she says, outside abortion clinics. So lovely work that she was doing from, well, from her young adulthood. She claims that thousands of children were born thanks to one woman in particular who influenced her. She eventually came back to England. And she co-founded Christian Concern, which grew out of the Lawyers' Christian Fellowship, where she had started as an intern. She began Christian Concern after the Human Rights Act came into place. And and she did this after listening to talks from various Christian legal experts, believing that, uh, and this is a quote, the way in which our laws were moving would mean that the speaking of Christian truth and all that flowed from it, would begin to be at odds with what was being legislated for. You have to understand that we do legislate morality. When we legislate, we either legislate towards God or we legislate towards the devil. And I've got to say, I agree. (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree with that. The difference, of course, is I think Andrea and I might think that we're legislating in opposite directions. So, I did a bit of digging, and I found this incredible talk that she gave on YouTube. And it's called, What Has Become of the Church of England? Now, the thing with Andrea Williams is that she is also on General Synod. Fuck's sake. <laughs> so, she is making or helping to make decisions at the heart of the Church of England's hierarchy. Oh, good. So, so she does talk with, I guess one might say, some expertise on what has become of the Church of England.
0: You might say that. I would never say that. Do not attribute that to me. Andrew Williams <laughs> has never spoken with any expertise on anything.
1: Right. I'm going to quote from her. So she opens her talk with a quote from Martin Luther. And he says that where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Um, and it's it's an interesting one, isn't it, with quite a lot of evangelicals in general, I suppose, that they really like their war imagery, don't they, and their war metaphors. Yeah. So yeah, she opens with a Luther quote, and so she's applying this quote from Martin Luther to the social issues that come up in any given time in society. And she goes on to say that the issues in the 1970s and 1980s, uh, when she was first starting to think about these things, uh, were things about the virgin birth um, and the resurrection, the historicity of the scripture, and those kinds of things. And she says those things are never talked about now, but those were the issues at the time. Now, she says, the issues are on personhood. She says, made in the image of God, male and female, those Genesis 1 issues being created by God And marriage, one man and one woman. Ah, yes, the famous marriage in Genesis 1. (laughs) Yeah, quite. Yeah, so she says that where the battle rages, so as in 1980, it would have been over the virgin birth or the resurrection, and we had bishops denying the resurrection in the 1980s. Well, today, she says, we've got bishops denying marriage. But she says, God is very, very patient. As I get older, I realize just how patient He is. There are so many people who profess the name of Jesus. So many bishops who profess, they talk about Jesus. So many people who are actively seeking a revisionist agenda in the Church of England. Um, And she actually mentions some specifically here. So she talks about the Ozan Foundation, which is an LGBTQ plus movement that was founded by Jane Ozan, who is uh, also on Synod, but is an evangelical who is pro, well, human rights let's put it that way yeah (laughs) Um, yeah so these two definitely do not see eye to eye now what's interesting about the way andrea williams approaches this is she says in christ church in oxford uh, because of course she lives in oxford we've got lgbt friendly services this week they will take the eucharist they'll talk about the body and the presence of christ they profess christ and confuse truth in the public space which I think is a
0: wonderful line. I'm enjoying that because it implies to me, not that they are confusing people, but the metaphysical concept of truth has itself become confused by gay people following Jesus.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it gets better because she wants them disciplined. <laughs> she says, Oh, I bet they... she
0: does discipline those naughty
1: boys. <laughs> yeah, so she says, and they've not been disciplined for years, and they've gained a position within the C of E, and that they are... A force certainly at the higher and further pe- the further people go up in the Church of England, it seems to be more liberal. And I just want to know what Church of England is she a part of?
0: Yeah, uh, right. because,
1: like, like, yeah, there are there are some liberal people in in some positions of power now. I mean, you know, we're talking socially liberal here, right? Yeah. But like, I can think of one bishop who has outwardly expressed support for equal marriage. One. Yeah. Right. So I I don't know what she I don't know what she's on, I don't know what she is reading or who she's meeting, but I, I think one of the really interesting things about this narrative that she's giving here, uh, is that it really plays into this thing that we see a lot from particularly very conservative Christians, particularly very conservative evangelical Christians, of believing that they are like a persecuted minority, particularly a persecuted minority in their own country. And, And actually, nothing could be further from the truth, right? Christians who claim in the UK that they are persecuted basically for the most part know very little of persecution and what they're actually doing is that they are denying people their rights as human beings their rights to to live their lives as equal human beings and and in doing that they are the ones actually persecuting others so yeah that standard understanding of Christians being a persecuted minority is running hard through all that christian concern do yeah absolutely there's a few
0: other things that i just want to touch on before we finish first of all you mentioned this already but andrew williams refers to herself as a barrister however she is not registered anywhere as a barrister and seems certainly not to be a practicing one anymore in fact Some people have done some research on it and it would appear that most of the quote-unquote lawyers who are representing the Christian Legal Centre have no qualifications or registration to be practicing law in a formal capacity in this country. Anyone can call themselves a lawyer, but what they can't do is represent themselves as a solicitor or a barrister or as someone qualified to give legal advice. There is, in fact... Good reason to suggest that the Christian Legal Center have been illegally acting and appointing people to act on their behalf in a way that goes against the basic structure of how the law and being a lawyer is meant to work in this country. The other thing I wanted to quickly touch on as well was to talk about the money. We've come across this idea before that it's a good idea to follow the money. So, really quickly, Let's crack through the situation with Christian Concern. Christian Concern is in fact the trading name of a registered company, not a charity, a company. The company is called CCFON, which stands for Christian Concern for Our Nation. It is almost impossible to find any interesting information on it. On Christian Concern's giving page, they say this. Although Christian Concern is a not-for-profit company because our work includes some non-charitable campaigning... We are not a registered charity. Gifts to Christian Concern are therefore ineligible for gift aid, and we cannot accept charity vouchers. There is, however, a registered charity named Faith, Troop and Hope, which is generously but not exclusively, supported aspects of Christian Concerns work that are eligible for charity funding. If you're interested in giving tax efficiently, and your gift is intended for the advance of the Christian gospel, please consider making a donation to Faith, Truth, and Hope. Faith, Truth, and Hope is run by, Drumwell please, Andrea Williams. From their most recent annual report, they say the trustees have a strong desire to preserve the Christian heritage of our nation, which is distinctive and of enormous public benefit. The Christian faith has done much to shape our society for the good and benefit of all. So last year they spent just over £798,000, of which... £784,000 went directly to Christian Concern. Well, that is official. Yeah. They also then spent £12,000 in grants and £2,000 on various governance costs. Basically, they've got this charity that exists because legally they can't be a charity themselves – but then they just fund it author a charity for tax and gift aid purposes so what we've got is essentially a very dodgy way of funding money into an organization that pretends to act as a legal representative even though it is not legally able to do so which is really really
1: wonderful it's that fantastic wording isn't it tax efficiently <laughs> i i love that because that just gets right to the heart of what's going on here
0: you mentioned the Wilberforce Academy earlier. It is, in fact, not just the Christian Concern do the Wilberforce Academy, but they join with an organization called the Alliance Defence Fund, which is a big American organization that does exactly the same thing, really. It's funded by a bunch of incredibly conservative millionaires, including the person who runs the Blackwater private security firm. Oh, that is gross. And is creationist, so rejects evolution they joined together to release the Wilberforce Academy and there is a, certainly a suggestion that they are taking their funding model and potentially some funding from this organization so what you have is that they are joining together with fundamentalist American organizations to learn about how to be a fundamentalist Christian organization in this country as well
1: well at least they're trying to do it well you know you've got to take your hat off to them really haven't you you know at least we're going to get something you know we mentioned how they slick before. I, I for one want more televangelists over here. That's what I want. More people funding their Learjets through the name of Jesus.
0: Well I think that's my problem. It's not the people are fascists, it's that they're often dressed badly while doing it. <laughs> Uh... (laughs) So in many ways, this episode has just been an extension of the point we made about the DC uprising, that fascism in this country, and particularly Christian forms of fascism in this country, has not gone away and is still very much an ever-present threat. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that, you know, these people have power in the Church of England. They have power in society at large. They're trying to influence the legal sector, particularly through their work with lawyers, And they are also, they have influence over the Christian sphere in this country generally. And as I said earlier, they specifically have influence over the conservative evangelicals in this country. But Christianity in this country is so thoroughly defined by conservative evangelicalism, whether you are pro it or against it, that by influencing that group of people, it actually spreads this influence far and wide within this country. So I do think they're a really worrying organization because they are able to get a lot of media attention. They're able to sell a lot of pack of lies, quite convincingly. They are fueling the never-ending culture war in this country. And they are poisoning the Christian community in this country and trying to push it further and further to the right. So a really nasty and very dangerous organization that are sadly more relevant than ever.
1: Yeah, and I think a very quick point on that which is relevant I guess particularly to us. The Church of England still actually has quite a lot of power in this country. It still has the power for example to submit primary legislation to parliament. And that is not a small thing. And yes okay that will pretty much always be stuff that is affecting the church and no one else. Uh, but actually canon law is the law of the land in this country. And and um, that came into sharp focus when we legalised equal marriage, because the Church of England were able to put up quite a fight about that. And we'll do an episode on, on this kind of thing at some point, I'm sure. But the legal ramifications of that and the legal implications of, of that are very, very interesting and something that we should be slightly worried about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very worrying thing, and as long as the Church of England has power in this country, and we can talk about whether or not they should have the power they do, it is extremely dangerous that people like this are influential
1: in the Church of England. Yeah. So I think a fun way to end our episode today might be to look at one more of the Christian Legal Centre's cases. And this is the case of, sorry if I say her name wrong, Emily Mabfua who was a Christian who launched a private prosecution uh, against the Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art in Gateshead. Uh, And she did this because they exhibited a statue by Terence Coe depicting Jesus with an erection. Now, in a BBC Essex radio interview, Michael Phillips, who is apparently one of the few solicitors working for the Christian Legal Centre, admitted that Miss Mabfua, had never actually visited the exhibition because she, in actual fact, lives over 250 miles away in Brentwood, in Essex. (laughs) And the case, as always, was eventually discontinued by the Crown Prosecution Service.
0: Well, that sums it up, really. That is the sort of quality of case that they seem to deliver again and again. Adam, a pleasure, as always. Not a pleasure to be talking about the scum that are the Christian Legal Centre, but at least I got to do it with lovely company.
1: <laughs> uh, thanks, I think.
0: <laughs> so, you can find us on all the various podcast feeds that you can think of. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash breadandrosaries. You can find us on Twitter at bread underscore rosaries. And you can email us at rosaries at gmail.com Please do get in contact if you have any feedback, anything you want to say or you want to shout at us for being wrong about everything. Adam, where can we find you in the world?
1: Uh, Easiest place to find me is at commiexian on Twitter.
0: Cool. You can find me on Twitter at molono. that's M-O-L-O-N-O and you should not follow me because I will just be tweeting about how wonderful the Christian Legal Centre are and persuading you to give them your money. Thank you very much for listening. Adam, I'll see you next time. See you later. Bye, bye, bye. Yeah, and I think it's really important that something happening that my phone. Sounded like Alex Jones then. Yeah, oh my yeah. goodness, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs>